Our scripture reading this morning is coming from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 33 through 37. So Matthew 12, verses 33 through 37. This is Jesus. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. This is the word of God for the people of God. And where we are, we say, thanks be to God. I don't know about you, but, uh, and there's usually some kind of pressure point or incentive to get me to do this, but... Uh, you can always go every year with Blue Cross Blue Shield and get your annual Healthy You checkup. So naturally, they send out a notice say, hey, if you get this done, you fill out this piece of paper, you get a $75 rebate on your health insurance. So here we go. So I go in in December, sort of last minute, and it seemed to be pretty routine. Got my blood pressure checked, uh, got my blood drawn, Dr. Chen comes in, everything seems to be cool. Well, a week or so later, I get this phone call on my cell phone. I think I'm sitting in the office over here at the church office, and it's somebody from Blue Cross Blue Shield, and they say, hey, uh, we saw some things that we were a little a little skeptical about, maybe some early signs, sorts of things. We want you to come back in and do this Color Me Healthy visit. Now, hopefully that doesn't involve actually getting colored on, but they, uh, they said, oh, come back in. So we scheduled it for May, so I got about five months. So, you know, I, don't, I didn't really buckle down real hard, but I, I'd been thinking, you know, I, I, I like extra sharp cheddar cheese, I like ice cream, and how could it be anything different than that? I grew up on a dairy farm. you got to support the product that you grew up uh, making your livelihood on. But I began to kind of cut back, you know, eat the turkey sandwich without the cheddar cheese and not make those wassa crackers with huge slices of cheese on top of it, uh, that sort of thing, kind of cutting out the ice cream. And uh, I think I began to walk a little bit before that time. Good news, I go back, Dr. Chen takes blood again, Blood pressure, blood pressure is even better. And thankfully, yes, he actually showed me the numbers this time. Yeah, the cholesterol levels were kind of up in the danger zone, beginning to get up in the danger zone. But now, thankfully, they were back down at a really great level. But the point is that, hey, you know, I had a a paternal granddad that we think may have had a heart attack in his late 40s. My dad, uh, he had some issues. He had blockages and things. Of course, I think I'm eating and my overall lifestyle is better than they maybe grew up thinking about and acting on, but still, nonetheless, you got to pay attention to those things. So heart health is a thing that I've got to be, be careful about. And you know, Jesus talks about heart health as well. When we look at this passage in, in Matthew chapter 12, it, it actually comes kind of a, a little, little past the, the midpoint of this chapter. It's a rather long chapter. And um, this is the third of three encounters that Jesus has had with the Pharisees in this chapter where there's been some sort of conflict, confrontation, there's this tension building. And this is sort of the climactic uh, encounter or confrontation. You know, the, the one where they're going through the grain fields and, and the disciples are plucking grain on the Sabbath. Uh, that's you know, a shorter story. And then you have one where Jesus goes into the synagogue and he sort of sets them off knowingly when he goes and, and reaches out to this man with a withered hand and heals him on a Sabbath day. 
But this one is actually, the, the story is much longer. And I think that's one way that it shows it's sort of a, a big pivotal climactic point. Uh, and so Jesus heals a man that if you go back and read starting in verse 22, it talks about there's a man who has demon oppressed. And among other things, the, the fruit of that is that this man is both blind and mute. I think it's, it's neat that we sang over oh, a thousand tongues earlier and it talked about uh, the spiritually blind and the spiritually mute and how Jesus comes and takes care of the spiritually blind and the spiritually mute uh, so that we can see and that we can and shout our praises to him. But Jesus heals this man and uh, clearly the, re- the result of this uh, exorcism is that the man can now see and he can now speak. And you would think that that would just be... Uh, you know, 100% praise all the way around. But the Pharisees, they actually go a very different direction. They slander Jesus. And so they actually claim that, no, what's happening here is that Jesus is operating uh, under the direction and the power of Beelzebul. Uh, and basically what, he's, what they're getting at is they're aligning Jesus, or they're assuming that Jesus is in league with Satan and with the kingdom of darkness and with the devils of hell, and that he's actually doing their work. But then Jesus goes on to show how and why they're not only both wrong, but then also to help them understand how they should understand what's going on. And so he says in verse 29, um, excuse me, back up just a little bit, verse 28, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And no doubt, part of what that means then is, and therefore, the Messiah is with you, and he is, he, just like those various prophecies in the Old Testament, he has the Spirit of God on him, and he's actually bringing the kingdom of God back into Israel, but also to the world. And so, he then goes on to say what's really at stake here about how you, you respond to this truth and this reality. And then, it's interesting, we get to our passage here. And Jesus begins to talk about trees. It's like he puts on his tree farmer hat for a minute. And he says, look, if, if the condition of the tree is good, then there's this unbreakable law that the fruit is going to be good. But on the other hand, if the tree is bad, if the tree is diseased, there's this unbreakable law then that the fruit is going to show that. It's going to demonstrate that. And so it's as if he says, as goes the tree so goes the fruit. And so Jesus then sort of quickly takes off his tree planter hat, tree farmer hat, and he puts on, we might say, the heart doctor hat. And he goes on to talk about then the human heart. Now, obviously we understand he's not, he's not talking primarily about the physical organ, and we can only assume what kind of uh, sort of mindset they would have. You know, for us, like I, in a, as a senior in high school, I took anatomy and physiology, and even though I've never been a part of a heart surgery, although I guess I've seen some footage of that, you know, probably Jesus and the people of his day didn't have some of the awareness of what those things looked like and some of the, the inner workings. But Jesus had, uh, he had more important knowledge. He had knowledge about our spiritual nature. And so when he refers to the heart, he's talking about sort of that control room of our lives, that that deepest center of who we are as human beings, where we do our our willing and our feeling and our desiring and our deciding, and ultimately, then what our lives are going to be like is sort of played out inside there, and they work their way out in our actions and our words. But he talks about the heart. 
And he, he's a heart surgeon. He's a heart doctor at this point. And then he ref, refers to the heart as sort of this treasure storehouse. And he basically says, look, just like if the tree's good and the fruit's good, or the tree's bad and the fruit's bad, if the human heart has bad in it, then by nature then, the words that flow out of that, and then in other places he talks about ultimately our larger life of activity as well. But he's talking specifically about words. But if, if the heart is full of what is bad, then the words are going to reflect that. On the other hand, if the heart is full of good, if the, the treasure store is filled with good things, with goodness, then the words are going to follow suit. And so basically Jesus is inviting us to mind our mouths. We've probably heard uh, maybe some of our older generations are familiar with that phrase. And yet, it's ultimately then deeper than that, to follow backwards, sort of reverse engineer that, much like the whole tree process runs. I think about uh, an episode early in my life in kindergarten where uh, I, I went K-12 through to a school called Central Academy in Macon, Mississippi. And the kindergarten room was at the end of the elementary building, and it was near one of the circle drives where people would pick up and drop off kids, and probably some of the school buses came through there. But we had a little metal awning that came out the, the main door for, that was right there at the end of the hallway. Uh, and under that metal awning, we had uh, some seesaws. And there's some other folks in this congregation here at Madison who went to school with me at Central know exactly what I'm talking about. These little blue metal tube seesaws that you could move around, had little wooden, wooden seats. And I can remember one day I was out there seesawing during, during recess, and uh, one of my classmates and friends, Jason Kynard, was on the other end. And there's, uh, maybe you remember the show from many years back, Jake and the Fat Man. Well, the guy named, who played the character Jake had been in a TV show in the early 80s where they had this cool-looking helicopter. And I can remember watching that show one night, and they said a phrase, and then I'm sort of thinking it wasn't like the real bad version of this particular phrase, but whatever happened is I, I said that phrase. And then... My friend Jason said, ooh, he said so-and-so, and he went and told the teacher. And then before you know it, I'm in the teacher's lounge, and I'm facing the dreaded threat of getting my mouth washed out with soap. Now, my guess is they actually didn't do that, at least not in that day. Maybe they did it in a generation before that. But I can remember going back there, and there was that sink, and the, the teacher took me back there, and there was that bottle of Joy lemon-scented uh, dishwashing soap. And I was like, oh, man. It's really, it's getting bad now. But it was basically had the talk, and it's like, are you sorry for what you've done? Yes. Are you going to do it again? No. And tragedy averted. But it it certainly got my attention. Well, you know, Jesus does talk about minding our mouths. But ultimately, though, he tells us that the mouth, uh, although we're accountable to that, per se, it's not really where we need the work to happen. Because ultimately, the way we speak, the content that we say, the way that we say it, which is so critical and so important, the the problem can't be fixed by simply minding our mouths. Jesus says we have to mind our hearts. And so he, he, again, he points us back down into the interior and to what's going on there and what's in there as being the key to uh, what our mouths will be either for good or for ill. But the reality is that even though that heart health is the key to holy words, I think it's very critical that we understand that heart health, the key to it, 
is not us per se, even though there obviously is some accountability and responsibility clearly indicated here. But ultimately, the key is Christ himself. I want to take us back to something that John the Baptist said in the early parts of the Gospel of Matthew, because it's interesting. We're reading this passage from chapter 12, but this is not the first time we've heard about trees and fruit. So John the Baptist, he's, he's beginning his ministry. He's preparing the way for the Messiah. He doesn't yet know, uh, you know who, who the one is who, who is going to be fulfilling this role, but he knows that the Messiah is coming, and he knows that he's got a place in paving the way for him. And so as people are coming out to John's baptism, we also hear about in chapter 3 how the Pharisees and Sadducees also came out. And so John had this to say. It says in verse 7 of chapter 3, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Now pay attention, you brood of vipers. Sound familiar? That's exactly what Jesus had said. And he goes on to ask this question, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Verse 8, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now listen to what he says in verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so we, we know then that Jesus comes out to, to see John. He asks for baptism, even though John objects. John submits to, to baptize Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus, and we hear, we hear the voice of the Father saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. And Jesus then goes into ministry in the power of the Spirit. And then as Jesus begins to gather disciples, we look at the Sermon on the Mount, and actually Jesus himself talks, uh, had already talked about trees and fruit at the end of chapter 7. So this is very much a critical theme. It's, it's mentioned by John first, but then Jesus picks up on it and, and obviously affirms that this is critical. We're talking about something so important, of ultimate importance. But how then... If we were to look at our lives and we begin to assess the words that come out of our mouths, and there's so many situations this day, so many contexts, and, and so many different ways of speaking that we, that we can look at. You know, we think about things that are happening just in general and political and political campaigns. We think about some of the political um, uh, discussions and, and criticisms and debates that are happening, and, and this person says that, and that person says something else, and sometimes they're not only at cross-purposes, but they're saying things that disparage one another and call into, uh, into question each other's credibility and that sort of thing. Or we think about other cultural crises that are happening. There's lots of opportunities for our words to come out, and lots of opportunities for them to, us to reflect on what is the story that these words are telling us. And if we come to an honest assessment that the fruit's not looking very good. In fact, it's looking bad. And we then come to the conclusion that, oh man, maybe I'm one of those bad trees. Am I stuck in that situation? Is there any hope for me? And I think the answer is a resounding yes. As long as we look in the right place, 
not to some other philosophy out there, not to some other so-called God, not even to our own self and self-efforts. But we have to do exactly what John the Baptist was guiding us to do, which is to look to Jesus, the Christ, which means anointed one. In other words, we're recognizing that he himself is the ultimate one who is ultimately anointed with the Holy Spirit. And we look to him as the one who will change our lives. And we are open to this call to repentance, to both recognize our sin for what it is as evil and we need to be separated from it and through the strength that God gives us to turn from that but ultimately then to turn to Jesus Christ as King, as Lord, and as Savior and as the one who can both cast out the evil and the bad that's within us and that's demonstrated in what he had just done for this demon-oppressed man but also then the one who can then fill us with the Holy Spirit because You know, we call John the Baptist, John the Baptist. But I would invite us to think about Jesus as Jesus the Baptist because John said it's Jesus, the one who is coming, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. No one else. And so we must come to him. And when we come to him and we we basically walk the path that Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount, which, by the way, doesn't begin with what we do. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. In other words, we come saying we're totally empty-handed and we have to look up to our Savior Jesus and we have to ask him to forgive our sin based on what he's done at the cross and then to fill us with the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus actually, I think, reinforces this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Look at the Lord's Prayer. He doesn't say, hey, look, look at yourselves and try to bring the kingdom of God in. He says, no, ask your Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then I think he reinforces those prayers that he asks us to make with great promises in chapter 7. What does he say in chapter 7? Ask and you'll receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. And as we do that, that's when the heart can change. That's when the evil can be rooted out and the good can be poured in because the very presence of the Spirit of God is coming to make us new and then enable us to speak different words, words that are true, words that build up, words that are loving, words that are actually going to do good and bring good in the world because they come from the Spirit of God who is given to us through Jesus Christ. As we close, I want to invite you to think about Googling this week the phrase, Collect for Purity, C-O-L-L-E-C-T. It's basically a, a word... Uh, It speaks to a collective prayer. So the collect for purity. Apparently it goes back as far as the 10th century, but it's most well known for being in the Book of Common Prayer. It's also in our United Methodist Hymnal and our United Methodist Book of Worship. But it's one that was brought into my devotional life probably about 20 years ago, and I come back to it on on a frequent basis. But it simply goes like this. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you, no secrets are hid. It's recognizing the very thing that Jesus had just demonstrated in the Pharisees, because apparently it was not that he heard the Pharisees make this accusation. It says he knew their thoughts. But then the prayer goes on to this. It says, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. I invite you to make that a prayer that you're featuring in your daily and weekly rhythms of devotion. 
And it's not about saying the right words, but words have meaning. And certain words help us to zero in on critical core biblical truths. Jesus said we're basically going to be justified. That is, basically, we're going to be demonstrated as righteous or unrighteous based on our words. And our condemnation is going to, going to be rightly uh, meted out based on that. And that's a sobering thought. But the, the ultimate word is that we can be changed if we'll look to Jesus Christ. If we'll surrender our hearts to his grace and to his leadership through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So may we make this our prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.